The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? How's everybody doing? It's always good to be here. All right. And tonight, we are joined by none other than That So Jesse. What's going on, Jesse? Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good to talk to you. Good. Glad to be here. Good. Good. So just a reminder that this is Number Score. We can be found on CSPN. You can also find us at CSPN.us. You can find us at KTS Pod on Twitter. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. So we're going to get right into it. College football championship Saturday was yesterday as we record this, just concluded. So all the major conferences had their title games as we had Oklahoma route TCU to win the Big 12 championship. We had Georgia get revenge against Auburn to win the SEC title. We had Clemson just putting a beat down on Miami to win the ACC title. And then we had Ohio State upending Wisconsin to win the Big 10 title. So, of course, that leads to chaos so jesse i'm gonna bring you in here saturday night as georgia was destroying auburn and then late into the night as wisconsin started to come back but ohio state held them off and the scenario of doomsday became much more clear what were your thoughts because i know that we've talked several times and you always root for the chaos and this was definitely the chaos scenario well for me um the more likely scenario I was rooting for definitely was Ohio State going um, beating Wisconsin, just because for me, I've seen some Big Ten football, and Wisconsin was never a world beater to me. I mean, sure, they were undefeated, but it was all against teams that they were expected to win. So I knew that for the, like, at least for the timeline, for to argue, it was going to have to be Ohio State getting that Big 12 title, that Big Ten title, sorry. Um, you know, there was always a little bit of hope with Miami, but after their loss to Pitt, uh, I think that became a lot less likely, so um, I guess the order there changed. So what was fascinating to me after Ohio State lost was um, kind of how would the committee come back and say who would get that last spot. So sure, um, on one hand, I was thinking, sure, okay, Ohio State, because Big 12 championship, Big Power 5, okay, makes sense. I kind of wrestled with Alabama just because, the committee was going to think about how, what, which game was going to bring hope an audience. And sure, Ohio State would have brought it, but Alabama would have brought an even larger audience. So I was not unsurprised. Um, I just thought it was, I mean, I, I, for the football viewing audience, Alabama was going to have to be in. But the USC fans who woke up really, really bad this morning of their cereal, because I know if, you know, I knew that if, if someone was going to be mad, two teams were going to be mad. And today it was just Ohio State and USC fans. Well, you know, the history of this playoff has kind of been a conference or two's champion has been left out because there's, you know, legitimately five power football conferences and there's only four spots. So, you know, there's going to be just somebody left out naturally. Now, Dwayne, I'll bring you in here. You know, all night through the night, the big question was um, Ohio State or Alabama, Ohio State or Alabama, where the playoff and the bowl uh, selections have been made. And in the Sugar Bowl, we have Clemson as the number one team in the country, the number one seed, going against Alabama as they've claimed the number four spot over the uh, Big Ten champion Ohio State. And in the Rose Bowl, we have Georgia going up against Oklahoma. So do you think that the committee made the right decision in picking the one-loss SEC Alabama team over the Big Ten champion two-loss Ohio State team? Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you why. So Alabama, yes, they lost. They lost to Auburn, and that put Auburn in the SEC title game over Alabama. But Ohio State, and if you really look back on it, really, the Ohio State-Oklahoma game was really the knockout game. The loser of that game ended up being on the wrong side of the equation. And as a result, Oklahoma won that game. That's why Oklahoma, who eventually lost to Iowa State later on in the season, that was their second loss. Ohio State lost to Iowa, and as a result, not only did they lose to Iowa, Iowa killed them. 
They beat them by 31. So at the end of the day, and even in Kirby Hoka, the committee chair said that was a huge determining factor with the selection process. So the committee got it right, I thought, I thought because Alabama, I said Alabama was at four, Georgia three, Oklahoma two, Clemson one. I think they got it right. Uh, there's always going to be somebody left out, like we've already said. And, and, of course, now everybody is calling for eight teams. And at the end of the day, it's really not even worth having that discussion because when you go to eight, there's going to be ten teams in eight spots and so on and so forth. So no matter if you expand it, somebody's going to be left out. There's just a talk about an Alabama bias, which could be true. I'm not going to disagree with it, but the body of work is there, and both teams just one team had one loss, one team had two, and no two loss team has been in there. So that's my take on it. I mean, even with that, the NCAA basketball championship has expanded to 68, and we even can't stop complaining about that. So what makes you think? What makes anyone think that oh, we six or eight? Exactly. Then there's gonna be a call for 16. There's gonna be a call for something else stupid. Uh, no. I don't have time for that. Exactly. Agreed. Now, I'll get both of y'all's uh, opinions on the two uh, playoff games here. Now, you know, these games are going to be played a month away, basically, as they're going to be played on New Year's Day. So, first, we have Clemson and Alabama. Actually, I saw a line where Alabama was a one-point favorite coming into this game. So, Jesse, your thoughts on Clemson and Alabama? Um, I'm going to take Clemson on this one just because um, we've seen some royalties on offense from Alabama. Uh, I'm pretty sure Mick Saban will whip somebody into shape come the next month, and then they'll come out and be on the behind, and then I would be left beating Crow, and you never know. But I, I just on base of what I've seen for this weekend, that Clemson defense is, well, yeah, the Clemson, especially the Clemson offensive line as well, is some of the best in college football. So can't really, I couldn't really get past that. All right, Dwayne, your thoughts on Clemson and Alabama? Clemson, Alabama three, the rubber match. So I want to go with Clemson. And as much as I wanted Miami to do something, anything last night, it just didn't happen. That defensive front is very disruptive. They make plays. They complement the offense, who also made plays. And they did it. And so I even said when the odds came out, that initial odds are saying that, Clemson was a one-point underdog. I thought that was disrespectful. So I would love to see Clemson just, you know, expose Jalen Hurts, do what they need to do like they did last year. I mean, last year is a whole different animal, but I really think that Clemson will take this one over Alabama. It's really impressive what Clemson's been doing with a, a freshman quarterback. Um, I think that's my biggest takeaway kind of for this season with just Dabo Sweeney and his coaching that, you know, they haven't missed a beat with the freshman quarterback stepping in. Um, it's always tough to bet against Saban in these aisles, but the one team over the last few years and the one staff who's had his number seems to be Clemson. So, you know, I'm not going to go against them now. They've given him fits, and I don't think he's really figured them out as much as they've figured him out. So I'll go stick with Clemson as well. Now we move over to the Rose Bowl. Dwayne, we've got Georgia bouncing back, and they're going to face Oklahoma. What are your thoughts on this one? All right. So you have Kirby Smart, who has a month to prepare for Lincoln Riley's offense, Baker Mayfield, and Georgia has a very stout defense. Like the way they came out against Auburn, Auburn started out, I thought, okay, this is going to be one heck of a game. Auburn is really going to show up. But after that opening drive, the Georgia defense adjusted, and they could not give any – they showed no mercy on Auburn. And so I want to go with Georgia on this one because the best the best defense is Georgia out of this one. We've seen Oklahoma in the Big 12 conference. They, they, they have to outscore teams to win. So, I mean, if you remember the Bedlam game, it was like, what, 66 to 56? Like, it was a basketball score. So, there's no going to be no basketball scores in the in this matchup. I think Baker Mayfield is going to do what he can to get this team to uh, pretty much get get the offense as much as they can. But I just see Georgia 
defense stopping them enough and their offense with Nick Chubb taking them out and moving on. All right. Miss Jesse, your thoughts on Georgia and Oklahoma? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go with – I'm not sure. Uh, Dwayne says I agree with, but for I don't know why my gut's telling me Oklahoma. Just because, like he says, you they, they outscore you, but their def- I mean, Jordan's defense, because I, I think it can be figured out, as we've seen. So I'm going to take Oklahoma. I, my gut says Oklahoma, and I'm just going to go with that. Um, I don't have any breakdown or scientific reason behind it, but my gut says Oklahoma. So I'm gonna go with hey, got to go with the gut. Uh, we have Georgia, another team with a freshman quarterback that's guided uh, his team into the uh, college football playoff um, going against Oklahoma, whose Achilles heel all season long has been their defense. Um, it didn't – it stepped up a little bit uh, yesterday against TCU, and uh, they were, you know, ran you know, ran away with the game in the second half. But like Dwayne was saying, um, you know, Georgia is going to try to run the ball, pound the ball, keep the ball away from Baker Mayfield. And I don't know if Oklahoma has enough guys in their front seven that can – that can force them to do something different. So I'm going to have to go with Georgia as well. So it's like a Georgia-Clemson national championship game, and uh, that would be pretty interesting. Pretty, pretty interesting. So we're going to shift over to the NFL. Thursday night, the Dallas Cowboys kept their playoff hopes alive with a win over the Washington football team. Uh, they ran away with the game 38-14 to to this host's dismay. Uh, so Jesse, we'll start with you on this one. Kind of your thoughts on Dallas looks like their season was, you know, about to go down the toilet and the Washington football team arrived just in time to help save their season. Um, for me, these are two teams that I don't think have any chance towards the playoffs. Uh, maybe the Dallas Cowboys are the only team that comes close at this time. But, you know, their offensive line isn't where it needs to be. Um, their running back situation, we have all heard about that over this past season. And the curious case of Kirk Cousins on the other side of the football, along with um, players not being able to make any plays. So then you have, it just comes to a head, and then for some reason, somehow, Dallas comes and makes that situation. Uh, they create a situation where they can win the game. Um, I think that a common bounce back team is always against Washington, and that's because, once again, their consistencies show up one week where Kurt Cousins had really amazing stats for some reason, but, you know, the defense is lacking or um, the offensive um, – Washington's a very injured team, so it's just holes that are being plugged out, plugged everywhere, and it's just leaking. And uh, I don't know. Uh, it's not a – it's a very leaky situation over there. I'll play it like that. So that's why um, Dallas was able to have their bounce back against them. So. All right, Dwayne, uh, your thoughts from the Thursday night game? Uh, Des Bryant seemed to come back alive. Alpha Morris uh, had his best game in two years. Um, that Prescott was pretty pedestrian, but didn't have to be spectacular because Dallas's defense, you know, their defensive line put a lot of pressure on Kirk Cousins. Uh, they got two turnovers. So, kind of, you know, your thoughts wrapping that up? Well, much to my dismay, Des Bryant had a touchdown, and I'm playing against him in fantasy. So, I really did not need nor want that. But the Washington, like Jesse said, they got a lot of injuries and they just could not get anything going. And it was just rough, rough night for Kirk Cousins, uh, rough night for the offense. And, and, you know, as much as the Dallas offense did their thing, you got to give credit to the Dallas defense. Like they had, a few turnovers that led to points, and that really, I think, made the difference uh, with the defense stepping up the way it did to keep those slim playoff hopes alive. So, so the Cowboys did they they did what they needed to do. Yeah, like Jesse said, uh, I had to come to a sobering reality: is that my team's just a slump buster. I mean, we'll get you whatever is ailing you; will be your cure all. And like you said, Jesse, it definitely comes from the inconsistencies um, of the team, of the coach, and, you know, just, you know, lack of attention to detail on certain things, little things that can help you win football games. And it seems, like you said, be magnified when you play these better teams or you play these higher-profile games. So until they can figure that part of their game out, the Western football team will always continue to come short in 
the you know bigger high pressure situations. So moving over to some action that happened uh, NFL-wise today, as this is NFL Sunday that we're recording this, the Minnesota Vikings won their eighth in a row as their defense stifled the Atlanta Falcons 14-9. to uh, Case Keenum, two more touchdown passes. Uh, basically, it looks like he's going to you know win, maybe come back player of the year, um, as he was like a castaway last year uh, with the Rams. Uh, so Dwayne, we talked about Minnesota's defense being really good, good enough to win a championship with. Their quarterback just doesn't have to mess it up. It looked like that's starting to round in the form. Um, it's a time that people start really fearing Minnesota that they do have a, a championship defense. It is time, man. That's the reason why you think that when you look at Minnesota on paper, yes, nothing jumps out, nothing scares you, but they have been really, really great on defense. Mike Zimmer is a defensive coach, and, you know, all you need is a guy that manages the game, and Case Keenum has done that, and he even led them down the field for a game-winning drive and a victory. So Minnesota is a team that is for real. They have the defense. They have the they have the enough offense. You get Adam Thielen the ball. Uh, you get Latavius Murray going on the ground. All you got to do is just mix the run in the pass and then just keep the receivers open and then also make sure the defense is prepared and you have a recipe for a – an extended playoff run. Now, whether or not that happens was remaining to be seen, but I really do buy in on the Minnesota Vikings and any team that can stop a dynamic offense like the Atlanta Falcons, um, you know, hold them to just field goals is pretty, pretty impressive. So I want to just say that the Vikings are legit, but in the comeback player of the year candidacy, I think Case Keenum would, be a good a good pick but Keenan Allen is probably a better pick for that award all right now the team that perfected showing that you can win with a stout defense and a quarterback that can manage the game the Baltimore Ravens have somehow reached back into time and started to use that formula again as they win against Detroit today uh, 44 to 20 they hold the Detroit offense down injure Matthew Stafford so, Jesse, let me bring you in and talk about your Baltimore Ravens. We wrote them off for dead, but ever since Joe Flacco got hit in the head, they've uh, turned their season around. So just kind of talk about what you've seen as far as the improvements and, and what's carrying you guys towards this, uh, you know, right now being the final team in the playoffs, if the playoffs started today. No, I'm fed up with that football team. Here's why. Because they could do – the defense could lead this team to a – I believe – Man, I don't know if it's true or not, but I believe that team could do a, go to a deep playoff run. It's our lack of wide receivers. It's, well, the awful plays in the first, what, two-thirds of the season that, you know, now we're sitting here at seven and five. So, I don't know. That, that like I said, the lack of wideouts have really hurt us because a lot of our games we have been just depending on Justin Tucker's leg. So, for me, I was like, okay, if they're going to be terrible, stay terrible. I won't get my hopes up. I can get brunch and be happy, and be like, oh, they're going to lose again. I'll see them next week. But now it's like, oh, we're going for a playoff. I'm like, damn, I just – I mean, I see their next few games, and next week is against Pittsburgh, which is going to be a, a hard one. But then after that, Indianapolis, Cleveland, and Cincinnati, which is I think will be enough for a six-seed in the playoffs. And then I'm going to be see, like – I'm just going to remember that 44-7 game over in London. I'm just going to be pissed all over again. I don't know what to do with this football team. They did, they did this in 2012, so why? I don't know why I'm so upset. That that's happening. So, football. Huh? All right, now let's get Dwayne's uh, thoughts to get him upset here as his uh, Carolina Panthers winning oh. the Superdome to have a first place showdown with the New Orleans Saints, and uh, the New Orleans Saints continue to walk the dog. They bounce back after getting beat by the Rams last week. Uh, they show up. Alvin Kamara had an awesome first half. Uh, long runs by the uh, Mark Ingram set up another touchdown as the Saints offense overwhelms the Panthers. So, Dwayne, um, another kind of inconsistent outing from the Panthers offense. Uh, Cam Newton, you know, his accuracy is always a question. Uh, the defense, though, passing-wise, uh, you know, seemed to give up a critical first downs, third and shorts, third and mediums. Uh, just kind of your thoughts on uh, Panthers versus Saints. Uh, okay. Let me just 
it seems like whenever the Panthers hit the national stage, they end up looking like a cartoon. But whenever there's no national spotlight, except for Monday night, for some reason, they do well on Monday night. But whenever it's like the Sunday game of the week, Carolina just doesn't show up. And But in this case, I'm not even mad at Cam Newton. I can't put this on Cam or the offense, really. I mean, Cam was 17 to 27, a buck 83. He had two touchdowns, didn't turn the ball over at all. So, and he had 51 yards on the ground. So, I can't be mad at that. Um, there was no, no, um, there's one fumble that was on the special teams. I can't put that on the offense. The special teams fumble killed us. The defense just got gashed by the running game. And hats off to the Saints. I mean, they, are not in three, four reason. They are a better defense. They have not one but two dynamic running backs. Like Alvin Kamara has been a steal. And and so with that being said, you know, the Saints are the cream of the crowd. They got two on Carolina. They got the tiebreakers. So they're in the driver's seat. And especially going into the Thursday game with the Falcons, you know, a lot of people would say, hey, you know, focus on the Falcons. But, you know, the Saints handled their business. And the defense made enough plays for them to get the W. And I will say inconsistencies on offense more just the defense just got gashed this week. So uh, there was a couple drops uh, that I did see. I know Devin Funches had a big drop in the red zone. And then the fourth down play where he was a yard short. But um, I don't know. There's more division games to close out the season against Atlanta. I think we got Tampa Bay twice still, which is always a division game. You got to pay attention to those, but and the Rams are in there between. So we'll just see what happens. We'll just go and take it from there, and hopefully they will get one of those playoff spots. The New Orleans Saints have basically become this year's Dallas Cowboys as they invested heavily in their offensive line, committed to the running game, took some pressure off their quarterback, and have played the time of possession game with hopes to keep their defense fresh and their defense can make plays. So, you know, they've kind of had a philosophy change. And it's funny that their running game has seemed to pick up once they got rid of Adrian Peterson. Uh, they got one less running back back there, uh, clouding up the mix. And, uh, you know, they've taken off. Like you say, Kamara has just been, um, you know, a revelation. You know, he's kind of sustained what Kareem Hunt started out with just making, you know, eye-popping plays, and he's got a magnet for the end zone uh, once they get down the red zone. So, yeah, he's definitely been uh, that X factor that the Saints have have used to um, really become a a very dynamic offense and a much different offense than we're used to. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they finish out the season if they can, you know, get maybe a number two seed and get the home field up until the NFC Championship game. Now tonight, Sunday night, as we record this, we're a little about 20 minutes away from Seattle and Philly facing off as Philly is going to travel up to Seattle. I think a lot of people are kind of looking at this as Philadelphia's prove it game. You know, even though Seattle is hurt, their secondary is decimated with the injuries. Um, I still think people kind of still have this um, reverence for Seattle's um, home field advantage. And if Philly can go up here and get this win, I think a lot of people will finally be sold. So Jesse, do you believe in Carson Wentz in Philadelphia? Is this the, you know, is tonight the night that the country finally is like, okay, this guy could win the championship in his second season? I mean, I have no reason to say no at this time. Um, the running back core is running on the cylinders. Nelson Aguilar has found hands. Their defense is pretty legit. Until otherwise proven, I'm not going to say no uh, on that front. And Carson Wentz has played well. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to suspend belief on them and see what they can do. And if they somehow get to another Super Bowl and blow it, then I wouldn't be surprised either. We're going to leave it like that. All right. Dwayne, uh, your thoughts on Philly and uh, going up to Seattle tonight. Um, you know, what it means if they come out with a victory, if they, especially if they, you know, thump uh, Seattle, uh, kind of what that does as far as their profile on the national stage. If, if Philly wins the game, which I think they will, at this point, it's like, what more do you have to prove? I know a lot of people are like, well, they have a weak schedule. And I always, and I said it the last show, I believe, it's 
doesn't even matter what the schedule is. The schedule is what it is. You play who's on the schedule. So Philadelphia is legit. I've been singing Carson Wentz's praises since college. I've already I told Eagles fans when he was picked that they are getting a great quarterback. He had a rough time. He had a great start. Then he had a rough patch. But this season, it's been lights out. And, you know, I've been on the Wentz wagon. I'm staying on the Wentz wagon. I'm going to say even if they have a bad game, I'm not going to just knock Philadelphia because they have one bad game. They are where they are for a reason. And until otherwise, unless they have like a late season swan dive, I don't see them. I don't see them, you know, faltering. So it's at this point, you know, what it will mean if they win, you know, hopefully it will continue to silence the doubters or make them believers. And if they lose, then there's going to be a much more noise, but you won't get that much noise out of me because it's just one loss after winning, what, nine or ten in a row. So that's where I'm at with that. All right. Now, sticking with the Eagles on some off-field issues, uh, one of their most outspoken players, Malcolm Jenkins, who's been, you know, one of the most uh, players in the forefront of all the uh, anthem protests. Well, not really anthem protests, social just uh, social justice and social causes protests, um, basically uh, declared this week that he would stop doing his protesting after the NFL pledges $90 million towards social causes. Now, this has had, you know, Malcolm Jenkins come on under a lot of scrutiny as it looks like, you know, basically he was bought out to basically, you know, you know, not be so vocal and upfront as he was kind of the leader of the charge. So, uh, Jesse, I'll get your thoughts on this uh, kind of Malcolm Jenkins and his vow to stop protesting, because now he says that he's seen the NFL make a conscious effort to uh, bring social causes more to the forefront. Um, it's all really suspect to me, only because um, I've seen the organizations that they're going to donate to, and they're not really the target of the problem that they're trying to address, um, well, in, from what I can see from my vantage point, and it's really weird that Malcolm Jenkins is like, oh, okay, they're done, and they're, they're apparently, they're, he's also found a way to benefit off of this financially for himself, so the whole situation is weird to me, and of course, you have there's apparently some players who are like this is not what we fought for this is not what we're looking for but with any other movement um, you're going to have people within ranks who disagree but um, don't I guess the, the how much were they donating again I believe it was like a hundred million or uh, the figure is around ninety million ninety to a hundred okay yeah the figure that they're donating to organizations that don't really address the whole issue of police brutality among black and brown folks feel that really missed the mark. And then just for Malcolm Jenkins to kind of dust his hand and says, we're done here is what's making me, it's just really suspect. All right, Dwayne, uh, I want you to weigh in on, uh, on this uh, Malcolm Jenkins and, uh, you know, taking the money and basically saying, okay, I'm good. It's highly disappointing. And, and, you know, now it's like what, it kind of just makes you think, what was the whole point of doing this? Because, this was just a good way for the NFL owners. Okay, we we can give the money. We can now shut them up. And it's like now it's like what what was the whole point of doing all this? And and also you still got some. You still got a player who's still blacklisted, essentially, without them being even said. Like Kyle Kaepernick, it still doesn't. The cause is still not. It's still not what's the word I'm looking for? Not even remotely close to the whole point. And like Jesse said, the organization that they, that they're working with, that's not going to address the whole issue. It's going to just be a watered down version. And so a lot of the, a lot of the players I'm with those, like, well, that's not what was, that's not what the protests are for. And for Malcolm to just, you know, Hey, ninety million, y'all gonna do this? Okay, peace. No, that's I don't think is right. I think I think it's I think he could have either I mean if you're gonna go the money route, at least still show you care about the causes instead of just wiping your hands and saying I'm done with it. It just I lost a lot of respect for him on that one. And then I found the fact that oh, Malcolm Jenkins recently invested in a Papa John's or um I guess they're 
He's like the back like a back deal way for um, Malcolm Jenkins to benefit from all this. It's not a good look at all. Yeah, definitely, definitely not a good look if you try to profit from, you know, trying to better people's lives who are definitely, um, you know, being oppressed and, and not treated fairly. And, you know, just to be like a charlatan, basically, definitely is not a good look. Next up, off the field news, the biggest news, I guess, of the week, start off the NFL week was we had Eli Manning basically benched by Ben McAdoo, uh, not really presented that way where they basically said they wanted to get a look at their other quarterbacks on the roster. Uh, ben McAdoo gave Eli the chance to start the game, but I guess come out around halftime, third quarter. Eli said if he's going to start the game, he wants to finish it, and it's not fair to the other guys to have to come in and you know clean up his mess if they're behind. So he just declined to go along with it, and so they named Geno Smith the starter for today's game versus the Oakland Raiders. Uh, it wasn't looking good at the time of the recording for this game. The Raiders were ahead, and there were reports this morning that Ben McAdoo could be out as head coach as early as Monday morning. So, Jessica, Alicia Manning, is it all over in New York? Should he retire? Should he go find another team to play for? I'd tell you it's all over for. Um, definitely Ben McAdoo. I'm pretty sure Jerry Ross over the GM is all over him, too, just because the way they bungled this, because – if you're going to do that to Eli Manning in the middle of the season, it's kind of signals that we are moving on from him. And there is no evidence from either Gino or from David, what's his name, David Webb? I think that's his name. I'm going to go with that. There's no evidence that he's going, they're going, either of them are going to be the one to take the mantle on from Eli Manning going forward. Um, and of course, that's how Eli Manning took his job from Kurt Warner um, back 12 odd years ago. Um, yeah, the way this bunk, it's, understandably they don't really have much to play for but it's not like uh, Alicia Eli didn't help we're going to say that at first but you don't have wide receivers when you barely have a faith uh you, when you barely have an offense you barely have important pieces of your defense like their safety core is not up to scratch um I mean their defensive line is okay well I mean it looks okay from what I've seen but there is so much going on there, and that's the reason why they are they, – they, yeah, they lost today. That's the reason why that they are, I believe, two and eight or two and whatever. I know they only have two wins. But the way, of course, you know, the loyalty and uh, how could you do this to uh, a New York legend, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. The minute when Dan Matthews was like, we're going to look onto someone else and still bungle that season, I think that was when his papers were going – that's when – you know, the writing was on the wall for him to lose his job. And I wouldn't be surprised if he lost it tomorrow because, you know, it's after you lose faith, after you have, um, and under, what's that word? Not undercover, but unnamed sources, quote unquote, saying that, oh, he's lost the locker room or the sea of blaming players for shortcomings. You kind of lose a lot. It it's, might be time to see, you know, someone else who can change the mindset of that team and maybe see if they can go for a better season next season. Um, and also just noting that that whole staff was kept over from Tom Coughlin. So maybe it might be a refresh for all those guys too. Who knows? Yeah. You never want the dreaded unnamed sources out there reporting on a negative uh, things that go on in your locker room or around your team. Cause yes, you're right. Just that usually does lead to you uh, getting fired. So uh, Dwayne, Coming into the season, you know, the Giants were a real chic pick to really make some noise uh, in the NFC East and in the playoffs. Everything was based around this outstanding receiving core and Eli throwing to, you know, all these weapons. Uh, it never materialized. Um, and thus, the Giants season has kind of, you know, gone down the, 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 the muck. They have a chance here to maybe position themselves to get a quarterback of the future. So is really Ben McAdoo maybe helping them out by going ahead and saying, okay, let's go ahead and, you know, we're not probably going to win the rest of these games. Eli's not as good as he was. So let's go ahead and start moving, looking towards the next guy, Sam Darnold or whomever you might like, Josh Rosen or maybe a Lamar Jackson um, to get into New York. And now, you know, we should start this thing over and get it rolling again. Well, that's a good question. Um, it's really a tough situation because 
everybody got hurt. So when you are playing with your fourth or fifth receivers who you really don't have a connection with after your one, two, and three receivers all go down with injuries, not many teams or quarterbacks can navigate through. We should expect Eli to make these guys better, but, you know, when you're reduced to – when you reduce to playing players off the practice squad, like what else, what can you really do? And so to get to the question at hand, maybe you go with the quarterback of the future, but there's a lot of things that need to be addressed on that roster. Like Jessica alluded to aside from the quarterback, I know the quarterback is the most important position. And if you're going to move away from Eli Manning, then you would have to see what Davis Webb has. Maybe Davis Webb is the guy, and you go somewhere else. Or maybe he's not the guy. I don't trust Geno Smith. If I ever had any dependence on Geno Smith, I would be in a loss. Whether Whatever that loss may be, I would lose it if I had to depend on Geno Smith. So I'm not even going to include him in this equation. So it's going to be one of those things where you just got to see what Davis Webb has to offer. And... You know, the way Eli was, you know, Eli's been a great professional, great teammate, you know, analyzing the plays with Davis and showing him what whether to see, what not to see when on the field. And, you know, you could go Sam Darnold. You could go Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, another quarterback that may rise out the combine or get somebody late, a late round pick or something like that. And it's just one of those things where you just have to play it out and see, what happens, um, and then if you get a new front office, what will the front office do from there? What will the new GM, the new coach go with? Will they go QB? Will they fill up other holes on the roster? It's just one of those wait-and-see things. I would at least evaluate what the current quarterback situation is first before making any decisions in the draft later. All right. Um, before we move on to our final segment of the NBA, just a reminder that this is Know the Score. You can find us on CSPN.us. You can support our sponsors by visiting our website at CSPN.us. And you can support our website by doing your shopping at this time of year on Amazon. Just go to the site, go down to the tab that says support our podcast, click on Amazon. It'll take you into the Amazon website. Do your Christmas shopping as you normally would. Some of your purchase will come back to the CSPN and help keep Know the Score free each and every week. So please, Amazon through CSPN.us, do it today. Like I said, final segment, NBA, the Cavs. They've won 11 straight games. Um, they had a little bit of turmoil at the start of this as Derrick Rose is kind of, you know, taking a sabbatical as he's going through some uh, difficult times right now, uh, battling, you know, if he wants to keep his career uh, going uh, forward, uh, you know, I guess just dealing with the injuries and, and not being, I guess, himself has kind of started to wear and tear on uh, on his mental health and, uh, you know, just his overall feeling about the love of basketball right now. And uh, but since then, the Cavs, like I said, they've won 11 straight. LeBron's really, you know, picked up his game. They've seemed to, you know, settle on a rotation. The offense seems to be clicking. Defense has found their stride. So, Dwayne, what have you seen to, you know, propel the Cavs to, you know, um, you know, these 11 straight wins? I think it's just uh, uh, the filling out process and seeing what you have, what you can do, and. These things take time to figure out, and Cleveland has figured it out now, and we're seeing the the benefits of it. You know, they've shot back up to number two in the East with these 11 straight wins. Uh, Dwayne Wade's been turning back the clock. LeBron's been LeBron, and they're getting good play out of everybody uh, around them. Um, and so with that being said, it's really just trying to keep up with Boston, you know, because the Celtics have only lost two games since their 0-2 start. You know, they had the long winning streak, which could be matched at this point uh, by the Cavaliers. I just see a lot of good coaching, good rotations by Ty Lue, and I see, you know, LeBron and Wade, the chemistry uh, is never – left, but it's really starting to show out during the streak. 
they were playing very well. And, you know, it's really unfortunate for Derrick Rose. You know, we've, you know, I'm sure we all had a joke or two about the situation, but it really is a sad situation because basketball is all he knows. And, you know, being the explosive player that he has been mentally accustomed to, and now he has had to adjust his game. When he adjusts his game, he gets hurt again, that he has to readjust his game. That can take a toll on anybody. So I do hope that he decides what is best for him, uh, gets in a good place mentally where either he can continue to play and continue to adjust or or transition out of the game. And, you know, it would be a sad story. I mean, we've seen that before with Brandon Roy. So I just hope Derek gets the, the uh, help and – mindset to get better all right now a team on the opposite end of the spectrum and that would be the oklahoma city thunder uh, i think they've won, lost something like nine out of ten games um they've lost like all their close games uh all games like five points or fewer they're, they have like an zero and six record this year so far jesse we thought that this could be the team with the big three um you know westbrook you know, getting some help in the form of Carmelo and Paul George, that they would be a, you know, big challenger in the West. But it doesn't seem like it's shaping up. Um, are you surprised that they've kind of struggled as much as they have out of the gate? Uh, sort of in this way. Um, Carmelo Anthony, I was never really like, oh, he's going to do something on some other team and he's going to be a world leader. Um Russell Westbrook is still being Russell 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 I'm funny um, Russell Westbrook, but it's just it just looks like a team that just has no cohesion to it, and so that's why they I've seen them. I mean, from that's from from my vantage point, it looks like they've been struggling. So you sure you have three really good pieces, but the pieces are not work are they are not coming together as planned, and here we are with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, Dwayne, remember when we talked about this, I said that the one thing that I wasn't sure about was if Billy Donovan was a good enough X and O's coach to come up with the offense to not have three isolation players end up playing isolation. And that's pretty much what's happening is they're just standing around and they're not not passing. Can they come up with an offense to kind of get everybody involved and to, you know, make them a better team and not just individuals? I think they will get it together. I believe that Billy Donovan, I was actually thinking about this too. I'm like, would it be a matter of time if before Billy Donovan gets the X because he hasn't figured it out. And we are at that 20 game mark where we usually try to see, okay, this is who this team is at this point. This is what they're going to bring to the table. And right now, Oklahoma City's nine and twelve. As we say this right now, they're up fourteen on the San Antonio Spurs, but that can change by the end of the night. And you know, by the time we come back next week, it could be a whole different dynamic. So, I think Billy Donovan has the X's and O's. He can make the adjustments. It's just still trying to figure out what those adjustments are, but he's going to have to do it very quickly. And these three have to continue to figure it out. You know, we can't have your biggest star, the guy you signed a $200 million extension, Westbrook Westbrook having a uh, pouting session after the game against the Magic. And, you know, that was a pretty good camera grab by, by the uh, TV crew. I don't know if it was Orlando's or Oklahoma City's, but that's really kind of the sentiment where they are right now, especially with the rest of the Northwest Division. About a game and a half at the time we were saying this, a game and a half separates first from fourth, and then Oklahoma City's just sitting there in dead last. So it's something that they need to get together and get together fast or they can forget it pretty much. Now, we did have a coaching firing uh, this week as David Fisdale was fired by the Oakland, uh, excuse me, the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, seems like um, he's kind of had some back and forth with Mark Gasol, um, some things that, you know, were going on last year. 
that they kind of managed to work through, had a playoff run, um, you know, seemed to kind of find a compromise. But this year, um, those issues seemed to come back up again. And uh, this time they weren't able to uh, make it work. And uh, it basically came down to a, a him or me situation. And the Grizzlies chose the player. So David Fisdale is out after a season and about 18 games. Um, this was a shock to everybody in the NBA. So, uh, Dwayne, I'll let you, you know, kind of get back in on just David Fisdale um, and, the, and the Grizzlies. Um, I know they've got some injuries right now and kind of where they go from here. Um, they're kind of at, at a stage where, you know, Zebo's gone, Tony Allen's gone. They're in a transition. And um, now they're really, you know, in a transition as Fisdale's out. So the Grizzlies – have been known as the grit and grind team for many years. That's the culture they created. And with David Fisdale, he has been embraced. He's embraced that culture of grit and grind because that's what the Grizzlies dealt with. But like you said, Zebo's gone. Tony Allen's gone. Uh, Lionel Hollins, who started the grit and grind, he he got he got sent off. Uh, Dave Dave Yeager, he bolted to Sacramento. And, you know, so now uh, I think the Grizzlies wanted to change the identity a little bit. I mean, we all know that Fisdale is a Greg Popovich disciple. So there was a lot of, you know, was he trying to create the Mid-South San Antonio Spurs? Um, I don't know what happened with the relationship between um, him and Marcus Saul. And it was just one of those things that, that, um, you know, you want to keep the player happy. I mean, Marco Saul has been in Memphis since his brother played for the Grizzlies years ago. And, you know, when they traded Powell to the Lakers for Mark, they they wanted to make sure that Mark stayed for a long time. Um, but it was kind of just really, it's kind of just really um, at the point where these two just could not get along. The relationship just... Um, deteriorated and they uh, got to the point where Fisdale just could not get through to Mark and he made the move as a coach to bench him and we don't want to say Mark as being a diva but he was probably exhibiting diva-like behavior and it just ended up it just um, pretty much just deteriorated and that was that was the end of his era. So very puzzling, very, very, um, I mean, you get fired for doing your job as a coach. I don't know what else you're supposed to do as a head coach to try to get your team out the rut that you're in. So it's really stings because Memphis has been a good, good team all these years. And, you know, we just don't know where they're going to go from here. All right, Jesse, I'm going to bring you in on our final NBA topic. It's going to be some fun, um, what are your thoughts on Joel Embiid? Um, he basically got into a nice war of the words with um, Andre Drummond leading up to their big matchup on a Saturday or Friday night, rather. Uh, Joel Embiid got the best of the matchup. He actually fouled Andre Drummond out and waved him goodbye as he was leaving the court. Um, you know, he basically got on NBA TV and said, you know, he likes to have fun. He plays his best when he has fun and he's talking shit. Uh, direct quote. Um, so just kind of your thoughts on Joel Embiid and the fun that he's trying to bring back to basketball. I I respect what he's doing. However, um, he's going to say things to the wrong person. And I'm not going to say that it's going to look like Malice at the Palace or anything that we see in the 70s. But uh, if he catches the wrong one, uh, I'm kind of afraid for his safety there. But thankfully, he's a, a good player who backs it up. But... I can see someone getting really, really tired of it. And I mean, for our enjoyment, really, but someone's going to get tired and someone's going to, someone's going to come up to him and move some furniture. I could see that happening, but while it's not, it gives me a funny quote or two to laugh at every once, every here and there. So eh, go for it. Yes, I agree. Joe Embiid is bringing back the big man and he's bringing back, you know, legitimate trash talking and just, you know, as long as we keep it in between the lines, it's in between the lines and then off the court, you know, he shows a lot of respect to a lot of players. Um, you know, him and Drummond, they, you know, they had, you know, dapped up and, and had some really nice complimentary things to say 
to each other after the game, you know, you know, talking about how they make each other better and, you know, it'll be another epic matchup when they meet again. So I think a, a lot of the guys so far have, uh, you know, understand kind of what it is, a little, little entertainment uh, factor. And then, you know, once it's all over, you know, they seem to be friendly. So hopefully it doesn't come to that. And uh, he has to change the style because I think it's refreshing. And, uh, you know, it's just another reason why the NBA seems to be growing and expanding in TV ratings while the NFL is declining and shrinking. So, you know, one time for Joel Embiid. NBA J. <laughs> so at this point, we're going to open it up to our co-hosts for their shout-outs, thank yous, and their final thoughts. Maybe they can uh, give a final thought on something that we did not cover on today's episode. So, Miss Jesse, I'll start with you. Your final thoughts? Um, I'm sure someone's going to have something, like, real riveting or real, you know, poignant to say, but I just saw a tweet with Ben McAdoo saying, I'm here as long as my key card works, and that's the funniest thing I've heard for press conference in a while. So, I'll end this off with that. All right. Uh, Mr. Dwayne? Uh, your final thoughts? All right. So my final thought, pretty much the Saints have the inside track for the NFC South title. It's been a long time for them. Congratulations if they get to that point. But I think with the big game against Atlanta, we'll really see if they really do have that inside track. Um want to thank my parents both for listening as well. And I appreciate the support. So thank you, Mom and Dad. All right. I'd like to first thank Dwayne and Jesse for joining us. I'd also like to thank Jamal for hosting the show. My final thought will basically uh, be about the most likely un-American candidate in the country so far, and that would be Luke May. Um, for the North Carolina Tar Heels, he hit the epic shot in the Elite Eight to propel North Carolina to the Final Four against Kentucky. Uh, here's a guy who was a walk-on to North Carolina, uh, received a scholarship um, basically after last year, um, and he hit one of the biggest shots in North Carolina history. And then this year, in his junior year, he's a double-double machine. He's averaging around 20 and 10, and uh, he's definitely like the most improved player in the country. Uh, and he's basically the go-to guy for the defending national champions. And uh, out of the blue, but, you know, kudos to a kid who, you know, worked hard um, and has continued to improve every year. And now, you know, as a junior, he's getting a chance to, you know, beat the man on the defending national champions. So uh, shout out to Luke May. So for that, so Jesse and the Libra icon, Dwayne, I'm Don DeLaRente, and now you know the score.